Miriam. Well, it's uh, it's taken us an awfully long time, hasn't it, to, <laughs> to organise this podcast. I know, but I'm really appreciate because I know you're an incredibly busy person, and I really appreciate the fact you're able to give us an hour of your time. So I, I'm glad we finally were able to make it work. So <laughs> All it's good. all good, all good. So, um, so just to kind of set the scene um, uh, for the listeners, let me—I'll just say a few words. So, I've known Miriam now for some years, uh, more than twenty years. More than twenty years. Uh, we've never worked together, but uh, Miriam's been associated with various clients that we've been working with over the time, and I've kind of tracked. Miriam's career over that time. I think the first time we met was in an airport in Amsterdam. I think it was then. Well, but we did work together, I think, on something at HP. Well, maybe yeah. not directly, but maybe, no, no, yeah, indirectly we did. Directly. Okay, so you, I, stand I stand corrected <laughs> on that. But, um, but no, it's not often that you find, um, it's not often that you find um senior level executives in an hr role i think uh playing some of the kind of roles that you've been playing over time so um uh, normally the people that we have on the podcast are people you know senior sales leaders yeah. you know and, and and others and i think you may be the first person we've had on the podcast who's kind of moved from a a sort of a perhaps a sales enablement area now into a, a global HR director of, you know, a large company. So in that sense, I think we're very lucky to have you uh, on, on the podcast. You. So, um, so for the listeners, though, Miriam, what we'd love to do before we get started around the topics of culture and transformation is yeah. I wonder if you could just track your, your history. How did you get to where you are today? Exactly. How much time do we have? <laughs> well, maybe two or three minutes, because I think it's always interesting to understand, you know, the journey that, you know, where have you come from informs who you are today. And so... Exactly. No, it is uh, happy to say a few words because um, I don't I don't have a traditional HR background, which actually, to your point, I think has helped me to get to where I am today as a, as, as a chief HR officer of a, of a big multinational. Uh, because I started my career in um, in the field of training and development. Um, my first real job was actually organizing big management conferences at that time for management center Europe. So I was, was living okay. in Brussels. Yeah. And um, through that, I, I spent time in other organizations working on either customized training and development programs for senior execs or for salespeople or other specific audiences. But then being on the outside, so working for an external provider and working with, you know, larger companies. Um, and then eventually I made the move to go inside a big company when I joined Compact Computers. And then a year later, we were taken over by, by Hewlett Packard. Um, and in Hewlett Packard, I had the opportunity. I was there almost nine years. I had mm. the opportunity to move then from sort of a general leadership development, skills development, to specifically sales development, but then also became part of the sales strategy team. And together with at that time, and by then it was already Hewlett Packard, um, 
at that time we had in um, Europe, Middle East, Africa, you know, it was about 3,000 salespeople. Mm -hmm. And then we decided as the biggest region to drive the sales excellence process. So we changed our go-to-market model. And as a result, we had to understand, um, you know, do we have the right people in the right roles and how do you develop them, but also how do you measure them? So also your whole sales, um, you know, CRM yeah, yeah. systems were changed, et cetera. Um, and I worked for a fantastic EMEA sales VP at that time. And he said, you know, you can only do sales development when you're part of the sales strategy slash transformation team. So I was double-headed. And that taught me a lot about the whole, you know, way of selling and, of course, the organizational model. And based on what we did at that time in EMEA, the rest of Europe got wind of it and they, they used the methodology uh, across the whole company. Mm. And that landed me in my first real HR role because then they said, do you want to do HR for sales and marketing? So then I moved to the US to the head office in Palo Alto and became a global HR director for global sales and marketing. Okay. So based in, uh, based in California. And, you know, having a global role, did that for two years. And then HP changed a lot as a company, so left, left the organization after almost nine years. But from then on, I've been in big international HR roles. Moved to Luxembourg, moved to Switzerland. So I've covered a lot of countries in the meantime um, and also switched industries. Ended up in manufacturing. And the company I work for today, uh, Grundfos, is my fourth manufacturing uh, company. So I've been in the world of uh, Masco, which is home improvement, kitchens, bathrooms, windows, for the first time dealing with blue color workers' environments. Um, then moved to Amcor, packaging company, very high-paced high, high -paced, uh, culture. Uh, was there for five and a half years. Spent five and a half years at Schindler Elevators, also in an HR role, and then again in the global learning and development role. And now back in Chief HR Officer for Goifos, which is water pumps, water treatment, and providing clean water to the world and driving energy savings, as we say. Um, and what, what I notice is, particularly the last 15 years, I've always been part of business teams. So working with mm -hmm. my colleague, you know, head of R&D or the head of sales or the divisional leaders or, you know, making sure that whatever we did in HR was based on the business strategy. But okay. also being in their meetings, going to customer visits, going to, you know, going into the business. Uh, but by now they see that I take a, a slightly different approach than just looking at the HR agenda because it's, right. it's also what I'm passionate about. So that kind of is the short That's version. the background. Well, I think that's, no, that's great. Uh, it's a great um, sort of an account and, and, I think that, um, like you were just alluding to, the um, you know the ability to work back from strategy into HR is is yeah. probably one of the things that you know was obviously recognised in you. I think from all those days when you're at HP, and you know I can see as your career's developed, you've you've sort of made the link between mm -hmm. you know strategy and HR and bridging you know bridging that process. And I think it is quite interesting because when you when you talk to people about what do you think about HR, you know, a lot of people don't think that highly of HR because no. they see them as not strategic. You know, they yeah. they tend to block things. They don't facilitate progress. So um, I think it's very, you know, it's great to see 
that you, you've sort of taken the approach that you've done? Because I, I imagine that you can provide such huge value, you know, to the organizations that you work for. Yeah, oh. because of course you need a strong foundation of the right systems and the processes and the policies yeah. and, you know, but then you really need to see what, what, what drives the business success. And I always say HR is not a support function, it's an enabling function. Right. Because, you know, having, having the right people in the right roles at the right time, delivering the business strategy, that is what you do it for. And particularly also, you know, again, in my current role, I've also been on several customer visits to try to understand how mm -hmm. do we work with customers? First of all, what is what do we provide to customers to learn business? But at the same time, how do we interact with them? How do we sell to them? How do we look at opportunities that go beyond one, you know, if you deal with a global customer who has multiple factories around the world, why are we only dealing with one factory? Why can we not support the others? You know, how can you make things scalable? And what does that mean for the skills that, that salespeople had? So what I'd love to talk to you about is um, the sort of topic of, you know, sort of culture yeah. and transformation, because a lot of the businesses that you've been in have yeah. been going through a process of significant change. Yeah. And um, we've always explored this from the sales angle, you know, yeah. sort of how are your customers transforming? And I think the, 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 uh, the great thing about this podcast is that you've got these sort of inside it, you know, you, you can look inside and you, yeah. you're obviously, when you join a company and you're in this senior level role, I guess you are, making a judgment call about you know what is the culture how do they work and yeah. how do we need to transform yeah. so could you could you maybe just share with me your thoughts yeah. around those those two words and yeah. maybe some of the challenges that you've seen organizations face as they try to affect change inside the organization and now it's it's been it's been really interesting because if, if i now look back it has actually been a common theme through okay. all the, the roles that I've had, that I was pulled into roles because there was a big transformation, either planned or going to happen, or they were in the middle of it. So somehow I kind of seemed to rotate to it because I enjoy it, and also I know how to how to do it. There are many things that I don't know how to do, but this this is this is where I can get my head around it. Yeah. And what I've where I've seen cases where it works very well is that you you know, that you always start first with why are we doing it? You yeah. know, what is the rationale? And usually it's a, a big M&A or, or growth scenario or increasing market share or improving visibility of a company. You know, there are a number of reasons why, why you go through significant transformation or the results are not good. You know, that's, yeah. that's of course, huh? when, when profits are going down or results are going down, what do you need to do? Um, and then starting with your, with your sort of baseline story of the why you do it and what are the critical steps. And then this sounds overly simplified, but communicate, communicate, communicate. Yeah. Because wherever I've seen it go wrong is when people do not understand why we are changing something, do not understand what's in it for them. You know, okay. so in a way you have to build your, what I always say I even use that with my own HR leaders when, when we drive something big. You have to develop your internal elevator pitch. 
Like right. yeah, the people need to understand why we do it, what's in it for them, what's the desired outcome, and what are then the different steps to get there. And if it's a long journey, okay, then you have to do that very often. If it's fast and short, you know, you do it in a different way. But wherever I've seen it fail is if people are not clear about the direction, about why we do it, and that it's there, that, that, and then they think that's going to make their life more difficult. Mm-hmm. The situations where it has worked well is where you have that really sort of clear roadmap. Of course, you have to adjust when things move unexpectedly, but you have to make sure you bring all your stakeholders along when you want to, when you want to drive it. Yeah. If you were to look back on some of the um, sort of really successful transformations that you've mm-hmm. been involved in, are there any sort of standout uh, examples of, you know, really big change and the yeah. organization and, and, and perhaps describe some of the things that happened to make it so successful? I mean, the one where I was only doing my tiny part because it was at the beginning of my career, but yeah. The, the merger between Compaq and Hewlett Packers. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've seen the business cases. That actually worked very well. Yeah. Because from day one, there were, you know, the kickoff meetings, the fast start workshop, the fast forward workshop, the communication on a daily basis, the information flow. The HR processes were rolled out very, very strongly in a, in, in a consistent way across the globe. And even though the cultures of the two companies were very different, the compatibility worked well because Compaq was a sales machine with very, very strong sales leaders. And also after the merger, you could see that in a lot of um, key sales roles, they actually also put Compaq leaders. Okay. Because there was a lot of sales power there. But in other areas, HP was much, much more advanced. Uh, For example, also in HR in terms mm-hmm. of uh, systems and processes. And the learning and development culture in HP was still one of the best I've, I've ever seen in my career. So I think the combat- compatibility was was well. I mean, like I said, I at that time had a smaller role, so wasn't that heavily involved. But then later in my days at Amcor Packaging, we, um, we drove some big changes where we changed the divisional uh, setup, we changed the regional setup, um, changed, I think, 90% of the uh, of the executive leadership team. And everything was done very fast in a short period of time. I think it was all driven within nine months. Now, in hindsight, I think that was sometimes maybe too fast. Okay. At the same time, it was very focused. There was a clear roadmap. There was a clear communication plan. People knew where we were going, the why, the what, and the how and what we wanted to achieve. Now, of course, you always have people who are not happy with that, but that's yeah. everywhere. Um, but I think for me, that, that was also an example of where it worked well, and I was part of the PMO driving that. Um, within, within the, in that time, at that time, it was the Europe um, and Americas region, and then we changed the regional setup. Um, but that worked, that worked well, also mm-hmm. because there was a clear sort of vision of why are we going yeah. here? You keep on sort of coming back to sort of the importance of having a very clear, you know, why and a a very clear sort of uh, vision. And uh, I remember some quote that I've seen, I think it was from Forrester, that where CEOs were 
interviewed about the time it takes to execute strategy, you know, and, and, um, and they were frustrated that it, you know, the board decisions were taken, yeah. you know, in month one, but it, it just takes a long time, you it know, time. for you to get to, to see the benefit of those strategies. And, you know, I think they were saying on average 18 months later, yeah. and the world is moving so quickly, you yeah. know, and so fast that yeah. the luxury of being able to wait for things to happen perhaps is not yeah. there um, yeah. as well. Um, can I can I talk to you a bit about culture? Because yeah. I think culture is, you know, there are these wonderful quotes that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah, no. and, 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 you know, what's your, you know, you must see culture quite closely because I guess yeah. HR is something that's really important, you know, uh, yeah, probably around um, the HR role. So could, could you tell me what your thoughts are around culture? I'm actually personally always careful to use the word culture in an HR strategy because okay. you, you don't, you know, culture is something that evolves. You cannot just design culture and implement culture. You know, that, that is something that, that evolves throughout the years and, and also is, is part of, of a company's DNA. And then, of course, you have not only the company culture, but then you also have the different country cultures or the divisional yeah. cultures or the functional cultures, you know, of the different sub-teams, depending on the leader you have. But of course, you see a difference, like the company I, in, I am in today has a very strong people culture, very focused on, on people. Um, and this goes back to the roots that, you know, it was founded 75 years ago um, by the grandfather of our current CEO. So there's a long tradition of, you know, we're building something good for the world and we're building something yeah. good for people. And we have managed to keep that DNA, which um, I really appreciate because it's not that the focus on people is like, okay, we have to have it in, in a slide and we have to have it in our values and okay, we move on. It is genuinely lived because there's also such a strong legacy in that mm -hmm. company. And because of this family-owned uh, dimension. Um, but at the same time, in other companies, you know, you, you also see a strong company culture uh, that is created by the way you work, by the leadership, by the products, by the markets you're in. Is it fast-moving? Is it slow-moving? How do you sell to your customers? So in that sense, um, you do see a big difference. Can you change culture overnight? No. Because... Mm -hmm. This is, again, culture is linked to people. And yeah. if you change too many people too radically, you lose a lot of, you know, intellectual capital. You lose experience. You lose knowledge. Um, so you have to be mindful how you drive those type of changes. But, of course, over time, when you bring in a different caliber of people that are in line with the strategy, you start shifting from a cultural point of view. So, so it, it, it impacts. Yeah. So what would you, I mean, do you have a point of view about if you were to be asked the question, what's more important, having an organization with the right culture but the wrong strategy or the right strategy but the wrong culture? 
Well, I wouldn't pick either one of them because you need both. <laughs> you need both. Okay. I thought I'd put you on the spot with that question, but it's an interesting one, isn't it? It, it is an interesting one because I have seen companies with the right culture, but with the wrong strategy, you know, yeah. you will not get anywhere. Your business results will not be there. And then eventually it started impacting your culture because you maybe have to lay off people. You have to downsize, yeah. you have to cut budgets. There is a travel freeze, a hiring freeze, a, um, you know, expenditure freeze, which doesn't really positively impact the culture of, you know, how do we work and how do we think, do things together? And, um, you know, it's this, I once learned about a model that I've also been using in leadership development ever since. It's this triangle between you need to have a vision, a challenge, and support. But as a leader, you need to balance between those three. Because if you only have a vision, but you don't provide support to your people, or you don't challenge them, well, then then how will we get there if there is no drive, if there is no, you know? Yeah. If you only support people and you cuddle them in an exaggerated way, but there is no clear direction and there is no support of how to get there, you will not get anywhere either. And the same with the third dimension so it's how do you how do you balance those three angles because one cannot really function without the other but particularly not if you are you know commercially driven organization yeah you know yeah it's uh it's interesting because we, we we often you know we ask uh, sales directors the question yeah. what would you rather a sales team with the right sales mindsets but not necessarily having the right skills and competence or would you rather have uh, a sales team with the right skills and competence, but with the wrong mindset. And, uh, you know, they almost invariably come down to, well, we'd much rather have an organization with the right mindset, because if they've got the right mindset, they will learn, they will develop, they will, you know, uh, you know, they, they will acquire the skills that are required, you know, that they need to to perform their jobs really well but of course you do need both you know you need to have a you know a balance between having the right i mean strategy and skills are two different things i know exactly but, for me that's two yeah. different things because yeah, i totally agree like you can teach people the right skills yeah if, you cannot teach them the right mindset if yeah if they don't have that from the start. So in that sense, I would fully agree with that answer. Yes. Energy for me is a slightly different animal. Yes. You know? yeah. But then to quote one of the generals we've had on the, the yeah. sales podcast, we've yeah. had uh, the head, I don't know if you've listened to his podcast, um, uh, Sir Graham Lamb, he used to run the SAS, you know, he yes. said, he quoted some German, uh, some German general. He says, no strategy survives contact with the enemy. And, uh, and we had an interesting discussion with him because in in in, in his sort of scenario where you yeah. you strategize, you plan, and you and and you you know you work out every eventuality of something happening out in the field. Yeah. At some point in time, you've got to let go of your teams. You know the teams that are trying to take you know the vantage point. Yeah. And he said that's when. You know they, they need to be adaptable. You need to trust that they they've got the wherewithal to say, well, if the strategy isn't going quite right, yeah. uh, that we need to adjust. And yeah. so it's that ability to reflect and to change. You know, 
and it, uh, I suppose it's a, a, a bit linked to this idea of the agility, you know, that's yes. spoken about in terms of organizational competence. Yeah. And, and that is a challenging one because I see it also in my current organization. It took us uh, three years to implement a new organizational structure. We moved from a country yeah. structure to a divisional structure. So based okay. on customer segments. That's big, so we, a big change. Yeah. We have four divisions uh, that are globally organized based on the different customer segments. Yeah. So different markets, different products, different customers. Um, the structure has been implemented well. However, does everyone now understand how to work in this new matrix okay. and how to leverage it? I would say, no, we are not fully there yet. And, and we know that because this takes time. And there you see that, you know, some people are more agile or more adaptable than others. Um, and particularly if people have been for a very long time with an organization and have worked in a certain model, then you know it's more challenging to change it. What I also see is, again, what I said at the beginning, if you don't explain to them properly how to then operate in a virtual global environment with now international teams that you might not have had before, particularly for leaders, um, that you are in a matrix with maybe three, four different bosses, quote unquote, then you're not setting them up for success. So we're focusing heavily now on how can we equip people with the right skills to do that, whether okay. it's you know, our sales force, whether it's our finance people, whether it's our operational people. You know, how, how do you make sure that they understand to be successful in that model? Because implementing the model and the structure is one thing. However, you have to make sure that you equip your people to be successful. And, and this is where we... I mean, we're doing very well as an organization. That's not the point. I just feel we can do much more to help our employees be successful in this new model, which is clearly the way forward for the future. That's not, um, you know, that's not a questionable uh, statement. However, how do we make sure we, we help people operate in that model? And how do we also bring in potentially new skills and experience that we don't have yet that we need? to uh, to drive this forward what would you say were some of the critical sort of skills and competencies required for organizations to survive in a world that's changing as fast as as it is you know it is um there is this wise quote from one of the greek philosophers you cannot change the wind but you can adjust the sails yeah um Every leader in, in today's world, if you work in a, in a you know, profit-oriented organization, needs to have that ability because you always need your plan B or your plan C. Yeah. And this mindset of continuous improvement and adjusting doesn't mean that you have to start one day, this is our strategy, and day two, that is our strategy. Yeah. But we have seen, particularly in the last years, with COVID, with the war in Russia, with now the yeah. political tensions in China, it is unpredictable. And if you are, a, if you as a leader are not capable of adjusting the right things and staying on the main course, but also understanding what needs to be done maybe unexpectedly, you will not survive. So, so for me, that that flexibility, but also that mindset of I said to my team the other day, for me, it's about constantly thinking two steps ahead 
but also about <clears throat> making each other successful. So leverage what is happening around the organization and no surprises. So make sure that particularly in your leadership team, you're well aligned yeah. so that you cascade the same behavior to the levels further down. Because not everyone is expected to be able to do that. But I think for leaders, it's, it's essential. Because we have no crystal ball. No one can predict the future. You can make all the strategies that you want for the next five years, for the next 10 years. Yes, there is a certain course that you will follow, but the unpredictability in the market is, yeah. is going to remain for the time being. Yeah. So having this, um, the other day, I, I also read an interesting article, you know, we, we talk a lot about IQ and about EQ, and this was talking about AQ, the adversity quotient. quotient. Is that Paul Stoltz? Yes. Uh, yeah, I know and, him. Uh, yeah. You know that model. And for me, yeah. that one actually becomes becomes much more interesting also when you when you hire leaders, plus then also the CQ, you know, the cultural. Yeah. Because global companies, you know, you work internationally. You no longer work in 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 in, in a bubble within a certain country, within a certain culture. So those two elements for me are, are much more interesting to see what type of leader do you do you put in a role or do you bring on? So how do you identify to what level uh, they've got a high AQ? That's an interesting one. Well, I, I know that there are probably some um, yeah. psychometric type tests you can do, but uh, that's uh, that's quite interesting. So I guess that that's... That that affects your recruitment strategy, I guess, and developmental strategy as well. You know, in terms of resilience, and it it does because um, you know if you if you talk about recruitment, I'm I'm talking much more nowadays about the end to end sourcing strategy because you need to look at different different type of people that you bring in or different right. skill sets that you need to strengthen, and then it's not just you recruit for one role and you fill the role. It's okay where can the person go afterwards okay. or where do we have a weakness in terms of succession pipeline or in general in skills and how can we then make sure that we are more strategic with with some of our top recruitments that we bring in the right people who can also move around or move up or down or laterally um, because nowadays people don't join a company anymore at least the majority doesn't to stay there for the next 20 or 30 years yeah so how do you retain talent in a way that they can also move around or at least, you know, can develop in a different way if they're interested? And how you manage that on the scale? I mean, how many countries is Grunfoss in and how many manufacturing sites do you have? You've got quite a number. So 60 plus uh, countries and then yeah. we've got manufacturing sites in all the big countries around uh, the globe. Um, okay. With, of course, a big hub in Denmark, uh, but also a very big hub in uh, in Hungary, in Germany, in France, right. in India, uh, in China. So, you know, you you and another, that, of course, is also then the balance between your blue collar workers and your white collar workers. Yeah. Because you have to source locally for your technical expertise for your blue collar workers, yeah. which are in most cases also highly skilled workers with the right technical capabilities. But they are not necessarily mobile to go to another part of the country or let alone another country. So depending on the roles that you look at, you need to source very differently. 
Mm. Yeah, must be quite a an interesting process you go through to try and look at you know succession planning on such a such a, an international scale. But I guess you've got a big team. You know, you've got a good team of people around you that can. I've help. got a I've got a great team of people around <laughs> yeah. me. Otherwise, I wouldn't manage. You wouldn't manage. And, yeah, um, we are now also developing the next level of talent management. Okay. And also look at what we call talent pools. And for example, sales skills, you know, really good salespeople that can also move across okay. is a pool. Um, digital talent is a pool. Uh, we're also looking at, um, you know, innovation skills. So we're looking both at sort of skills, but then also different different age groups. Like we have a we have a global graduate program. So how do we bring in young yeah. You know, people who can further develop in the company. How do we focus on diverse talents? How do we strengthen leadership? How do we also enable people to move across functions or divisions? Yeah. Um, so we're looking at it from multiple angles. Can I ask what you think of sales as a function of a business? I think it's 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 a critical function for a commercial oriented company because in okay. the end if we don't sell anything if our customers are not happy we might as well close up you know so okay so you so, can have, you can have the best product uh, or the best technology but if you're not able to sell it and then of course also have you know particularly when when you work with technical products I saw it at Schindler as well you know, your maintenance, mm. your modernization, your upselling. Uh, because in, in Schindler, the, the, the money was mostly made based on the service contract, not yeah. necessarily the new installation, which is a model that, you know, is very similar in, in, in other manufacturing industries. So you also need to make sure that your service engineers understand how to upsell, you know, advanced yeah. selling skills or provide modernization to your product because otherwise you're out of business. So yeah. for me, it's, uh, it's critical. It's yeah. Critical. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's a critical function. Um, though from, from our experience that yeah. Yeah. it's, it's quite often, uh, from a professional point of view, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of not treated as a profession sales. You know, people tend to fall into sales by accident engineers particularly in the technical world you know engineers do not like to be called salespeople. you know they like to be called engineers particularly in the perhaps german-speaking countries and you know so on where, where i think it's changing but it's very slow but i think it's changing i think it's changing okay that's good in a way in a way having a commercial mindset is is I mean even 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 in a function of not not even I mean also in a function like HR yeah I want my HR leaders to also think about okay what is the business strategy what are the priorities how do we yeah. achieve growth and what does that mean for your people at Gemna so they have to think commercially okay. and then also how do we sell our ideas internally because it's a lot of stakeholder management yeah. It's not just uh, like, okay, here's a policy or here's a program and people go do. Uh, and then I'm not talking about standards around compliance. Okay, that's a non-negotiable, you know, we're not going to. Mm. <laughs> you need to have your code of conduct, your compliance yes. your standards and your financial standards. 
but you need to understand stakeholder management. And for me, stakeholder management is whether you're in HR, whether you're in sales, whether you're in finance, you need, yeah. to, you need to understand your stakeholders. So I, I think it is shifting. I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really good to hear your, your points of view. I know you've got a, a background in sales, you know, that's how we met all those years ago, but, um, but it's really good to, to uh, kind of hear you say that. If you were looking back on your, on, on where you are now in your mm-hmm. sort of career and you were, and you were, you know, you've obviously had a very successful career track up to the highest levels of HR. What, what for you have been your, you know, the key learnings that you've, you, you know, you've taken away? What have been, you know, the, the key things that have enabled you to perhaps have yeah. navigated your way in a very competitive yeah. environment, yeah. you know, across multi-industry as well, yeah. which is interesting, yeah. globally as well, you know. Yeah, usually male-dominated environments. But well, I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, the technology, you know, you succeeded in a world, you know, at the highest level. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure Grimfoss is, is, you know, has got a, a very diverse organization. But uh, many times, I'm sure you've been in the minority, perhaps as well. You know, at the level. Yeah, today I'm the, uh, the only female on the management team. But honestly, it's for me, it's a non-issue. It's absolutely okay. a non-issue. It's uh, first of all, it's a, it's it's a great team and it's a great culture. And even in my last roles and, and company, it was very similar. Um, for me, it's never been an issue. It's about who you are and what you do and how you perform. Whether you're a man yeah. or a woman, you you have to deliver. Okay. So so I've never I've you never mean, felt that as a barrier or as a yeah. Maybe others have, but again, for me, maybe because I take that attitude, it, I, I've never felt it as a as a barrier. Okay. Um, but what has been important um, to get to where I am, I, I would also say, is having worked for some great leaders. Um, okay. I've had some really good managers who uh, taught me a lot, who also um, you know, helped me move ahead, who gave me opportunities, who were willing to take risks and put me in roles without yeah. having a lot of experience. Um, however, they thought, you know, if you never try, then you will never learn. And I was, of course, willing to take the risk and do that. So it, it works both ways. But at the same time, I've also worked for poor leaders who don't support you. And then you see the big difference. Yeah. So I think that that is, that is a key one. What I've also learned is um, if the opportunities come by, you do have to be willing to take a risk and not overthink it. And okay. And just have the courage to do it. And then, yes, it can go wrong. But the worst thing is that, okay, it doesn't work and you go somewhere else, you learn from it, you move on, and you eh, you don't make the same mistake twice. Even though I don't even call it mistakes, you know, it's like, how do you learn from it? How do you learn? Yeah. But, but you need to have that sort of um, eagerness or willingness to take a risk, to get out of your comfort zone, to be open for the unexpected to be entrepreneurial, because if you just play it safe, for sure I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. So th- yeah. that is important. And then um, staying curious and, and learning. You know, I there are so many things I still do not know. Yes, I know a certain area very well, but there are many things I don't know. 
and not fall into that trap like, well, you get to a certain executive level and you've seen it, done it, been there, uh, you know how to okay. do it. Because every situation is different. And of course, you can leverage a lot of the things that you've done. However, staying curious and staying in tune with what is really happening in the role or the organization you're in, for me, is important as well. Because if you start sort of cruising along thinking that you've know it, you know it all, I think, yeah. you're, I think you're not your best self. So, so having constantly a bit of a challenge like, okay, this is new, let's try it. Or this is, you know, challenge yourself in a, in a healthy way, of course. Um, but that's, that's what I've constantly been doing and I still do it today. <laughs> okay. Well, that, no, that's really good. So I, I wonder whether I could just in the final few minutes, um, just, you know, you must get approached by quite a lot of salespeople trying to pitch to you and you probably fend a lot of people away if you were to give any advice yeah to any salespeople out there who are wanting to pitch to a senior hr director yeah yes (laughs) what would your advice be (laughs) for sure the ones who just bombard you with emails and then try to go creative like well you must have missed my first email or you must have missed my second (laughs) email or why am i not getting your attention i mean yeah just delete it. Um, the cold calling for sure doesn't work for me either. Okay. Yeah. Uh, where they just barge in through your day, not even asking, okay, am I calling at the right time or what are you calling about? Or yeah, I just put down the phone. Yeah. Um, I would say the ones that that do get that I do give some air time is where it is really much more focused on um, want to ask you a question want to get some advice or I have something that I think might benefit from you, but I'm sending it just as FYI. Have yeah. a look. So take, take a more low key approach. Okay. Uh, and yeah. focus, on, focus on establishing the relationship. Right. Particularly if you want to be in there for the long run. I mean, if it's a quick sales pitch or whatever, then okay, that's different. So we, we were, uh, sort of asking questions about advice you might yeah. give for salespeople and salespeople. what works and doesn't. So yeah. um, for me, it's the um, you know the the trying to be very pushy, getting your foot in the door, uh, bombarding yeah. people with information. Honestly, that doesn't work for me. Again, maybe yeah. it works for other people. It doesn't work for me. For me, it's more like someone who is able to raise my interest to say, you know, I have some something for you or information. Yeah, that you might be able to benefit from. Um, have a read, have a look, or yeah. maybe we can just have a chat. No, um, nothing, nothing um, comes out of it. That's fine too, um, because I've been working with some organizations where for years we've been in touch before we actually started working yeah. something something together, um, and really looking particularly depending on, of course, depending on the product that you sell. But if you want to establish a longer-term relationship with a customer, then focusing much more on, okay, what what is helpful for him or her in their role or company? Uh, Be mindful of, okay, schedules, times. Um, 
giving it in a simple overview that people can read it, understand it, um, but take out the pushiness. I think that for yeah. me is the worst part. Is of, the worst part. Yeah. Yeah. Or people who sort of, particularly the ones who just call you out of the blue, who say, yeah. well, I, I know that you need our help because so-and-so and I've done research about you. And I was like, okay, well, thank you very much. Boom. There goes the phone. Yeah. yeah. No. So I know. I don't know if that helps. But <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a question that we ask when we do formal Yes. interview projects with customers and we ask them what percentage of people that sell to you sell in a way that you think is yeah. remarkably good if you were to put a percentage on it Miriam what would you say you know of all the salespeople that are sort of pitched to you over I'm, time I'm being I'm being very very harsh now it's not even five percent not even five okay no. Yeah. Okay, well, that's that's fairly consistent <laughs> to the research. It's yeah, less than you know, the hundreds that we've interviewed, less than ten percent is yeah. the is the figure. But uh, yeah. that that's uh, that's that's really interesting. There's another question I wanted to ask yeah. you, um, which is that you mentioned earlier, right at the beginning, that yeah. you've been out to visit customers, and yeah. I think that's amazing that yeah. someone from HR should do that. Yeah. What were you hoping to achieve by talking to customers? Um, well, for example, well, first of all, I can see then how our products are being used at, okay. at the premises um, because we have, you know, we're not just a, a pump company. We also drive the water treatment, the water solutions. We help uh, okay. industrial environments also look at their water usage and saving energy, saving water, recycling water. So for me, it, it, it to physically see, okay, how are our products being used and what does it do for the customer? That's one thing. Um, but also understanding what else can we do better? You know, what, okay. what, is, what is working in the relationship? What is not working in the relationship? And particularly, I visited a factory of a, of a big global customer from, um, actually it was in the packaging industry, so an industry that I, that I know very yeah. well. Yeah. So I could also ask them questions about their business. So that yeah. was a nice coincidence. Um, but also understanding, well, if, if we help one part of that customer, how well are we connected with the rest of the customer, particularly when you talk about regional customers or global customers? Yeah. So that, to me, goes back to our go-to-market model, particularly for large customers. Or, you know, of course, you have different models because yeah. one of our customer segments is also the end user, like, apartments and, and houses where they have small pumps for, you know, for households. So that's a very different segment than an industry segment. Um, but for me, it's, it's, like I said, threefold. First of all, to physically see and understand, okay, what are we doing there and how does it help improve their processes? Um, what is going well, what is not going well um, in terms of the products, but also the relationship and the service that they get. And are there opportunities to do more business, quite frankly? Um, okay. So you went yeah. in with a, a HR hat on as well as a sales hat on as well. I, I cannot help myself. I then immediately start yeah. thinking, okay, I mean, what are we doing with this customer and how can we optimize it? Right. And, um, I, I was also on some customer visits in, uh, in, in other divisions and I have one planned also now in August for our yeah. domestic building services division because... You know, I come from a different angle and I, yeah. I, you know, might very often be wrong, but maybe I see things 
that is obvious, to, well, obvious to me, but maybe not obvious to others, where I can yeah. think of, is there a way that we can increase the the service levels or what we, yeah. what we do with these customers? Yeah. I think it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Is that part of um, a policy of Grimfoss, exec board members yeah. get yeah. out to see customers, which I know used to happen at people, you know, places like HP, they, you know, that, that was one of their strategies and we, it worked very well. Uh, we, we don't have it as a formal policy, but we do encourage it. And for example, I also spent beginning of this year, I spent three days in, in our factory in Germany for my shop floor training. So I worked, um, you know, on assembling pieces, on okay. electronics, on, I went through all the different okay. parts of the factory. Of course, it helps that I speak German. So, so that, yeah, yeah. that was good. Um, and of course, we made some some good publicity around it. But the, the feedback was was amazing that a lot of people were like, wow, every executive should do that. And for me, I've done that in all my roles to go actually okay. into the production, into, you know, I've been, this is my fourth manufacturing company, as I said. I've done it in all the three others as well that I go into production or on site to understand what people do, but also to talk to our employees. Yeah. Yeah. Because you hear a lot when you speak to employees on the shop floor. Yeah. So I, I don't do it because I think, well, it's good PR for Miriam. Of course, yeah, it, it creates visibility. But I think it also shows that you really want to know what's going on with, with your people at different levels. Yeah. And I do it today as well when I visit offices or sites. I do not only meet with our senior leaders or our commercial leaders or our management team. I also you know, go around and speak to whoever is there. Yeah. Because that's where you really can put your, your finger on the pulse and yeah. see what is, what is happening. So yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. No, I can see that uh, that would be so much admired, you know, by people. And, and oh, also, like you say, I, yeah, I it's fun. It. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Miriam, I think we're reaching the hour now, and I just want to say a huge thanks for your time. It's been lovely to catch up with you, and Likewise. I think that there are many different, um, very, very, many different learnings coming out of this, and I think uh, our listening community would very much appreciate it. So, thank you, Miriam, and I look forward well, to seeing you, you soon. I hope. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, okay. Girl. Cheerio, Miriam. Bye. 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 Bye-bye.